It really is good to be here today. My name is Dave Talley, and we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, open those up to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Also, if you look at your bulletins, you'll see there's a place for you to take notes if you want to follow along with the points uh, that I am seeking to make. Um, I'm going to follow those three points. And if you can also see there the title of the sermon today, the title is Living for a Watching World and a Waiting Savior. As we've been going through the book of Peter and even throughout the New Testament, we see oftentimes the use of the church as bride and we have a waiting Savior. And Peter's been making this very clear. And I'm going to try to even build on some of what's already been said in previous weeks, that we have this waiting Savior. Um, but now he wants to bring in even more that we have a world watching. And I think uh, a, a wedding gives us a good picture, good image of some of what we might be able to pull out of this passage today. And we've had several weddings here in the last few months. We've got the center aisle and the, the groom is up here and the wedding party and the bride comes through those back doors and we've got the audience and all the eyes of the audience are on the bride. And Peter's been talking about us as the bride, we've got a waiting savior and we need to keep our eyes on that waiting savior. We need to put, fix our hope on that waiting savior. But also as you think about the wedding scene, all eyes go back to the bride and they follow the bride down the aisle. And I think that that helps us even try to visualize more of what Peter's saying here, that not only do we have a waiting Savior, we've got a world that is watching. Now, part of what Peter's going to say in the New Testament makes very clear is this is where the bride wedding imagery begins to break down because the world, the audience that is watching is a hostile world. There are passions that dominate this world that want to lure you in, want to take you away, want to get your eyes off the groom, off your Savior who awaits you, wants to devour you ultimately. And Peter has some strong words that he wants to say to us today as we are people who live in this world with a waiting Savior. He wants to remind us we've got a world who is watching so here's the passage. Let me read it. And then we're going to pray and ask God to use this time to work in our midst. First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll begin our time of prayer today with you inviting the Lord to work in your heart, to make his word alive and powerful. Ask the Lord to teach you today, to transform you. Lord, you have heard the 
songs that we've been singing today, and you know the depths from which they've flown from our hearts. Lord, you know the battles that we've had this week. We know, you know that there were times when our lives clearly demonstrated that you are indescribable and worthy of all glory. And there were other times when our lives, we seeked to live as if you were not. And we turned away from you. Lord, you know all over this room the condition of our hearts this morning. But we all gather here and our eyes are on you. And we pray that you would move in our midst. We pray that you would help us on our journey and that you would help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus today. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here. We do ask that you would make your word alive and powerful. It'd move into our hearts. Lord, would you, in your mercy, give us hearts to receive what your word has to say to us today. So we give this time to you and we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. You can see in your bulletins that there are three simple points that I want us to pull out of this passage. And so let's just work our way through each one of those. The first one is we must truly grasp our identity. And I didn't want to belabor this point, but I realized that coming out of Moyer's sermon last week and others who have preached before us, identity continues to be a big issue in this book that we're, that we're focused in on. Peter is really working hard to get the, the audience, the readers, who, who, the ones he sent in this letter to, to really grasp their identity. In fact, in our verses today, we have three particular titles that are given to those who are reading. Beloved, sojourners, exiles. And that concept of beloved, you can hear Peter's pastoral heart moving toward these people. If you remember weeks ago when we first began to work into First Peter and the difficulties that they're up against and the fiery ordeal is the word that is used. The suffering that is unjust. When people speak evil against you, they've been dispersed because of their faith in Christ, a lot like we saw back when we were going through Hebrews. And the word beloved, Peter just reaches out to them. And in this word, I can feel so much of his pastoral heart reminding them of all the things that he's been saying already, already been writing in this letter. You belong to Christ, beloved. And he's about to make a little transition here and really walk into what it means for them to be living in a way that shows and gives evidence to the fact that they belong to Jesus. But we also see these words, sojourners and exiles. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And he's trying to bring this strong sense in the letter that this world is not our home. And what we have to realize as we work our way through this book is these are not just words. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever, we're sojourners. No, we really have to own this. We must grasp our identity. And what I did is I went through just the book of First Peter and begin up to this point, begin thinking about in what ways is he making it so clear that this wor- world is not our home. Look at chapter one, verse one. He says very clearly there, to those who are elect exiles, of the dispersion. They've been dispersed. They live here in this world, but they're exiles 
as they live in this world. Chapter one, verse three, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's, fun, there's something that's fundamentally different about their life now that they are in Christ. They were of this world, but something's different now. Chapter one, verse four, they are to an inheritance kept in heaven for you. That's what our life is about. It's about this inheritance. It's not here. It's actually being kept in heaven for us. That is a reality for us. That's our identity. Um, Chapter one, verse five, ready to be revealed in that last time. There's, There's something about that last time. There's something that's going to be revealed there. And we live for that. We look to that. We long for that. Chapter one, verse seven, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, this forward look. Chapter one, verse 13, builds on that even more. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, that forward look. Chapter one, verse 17, makes it very clear. Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is a temporary time are living here. This is not our final resting place. So throughout your time here, conduct yourself in a certain way. Chapter one, verse 23, since you've been born again, again, that whole concept of you were born in this world, but now you've been born again. You are of a different kingdom. Chapter two, verse nine, where Moyer um, took us last week, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so Peter says, beloved sojourners and exiles, I want to remind you who you are. Now, it's amazing to me all the passages of Paul that really drive this home as well. Philippians 3.24, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. We go to passages like Colossians 1.13, the father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's our, that's our other home. That's our previous home and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's just as true now as if you were in that eternal kingdom. That is your reality. That is our identity. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 goes on and talks about setting our hope are setting our minds on things above where Christ is, see the right hand of God. You gotta live with that reality. Ephesians chapter two in verses 19 through 21, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That whole idea of our citizenship, where is our citizenship? It's not in the United States of America or whatever country you represent. Our citizenship is in heaven and we must grasp that identity. And then Romans 8 and 16 through 23, we could find so many concepts. The children of God, the fellow heirs with Christ, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. That's our identity. We could even go on to the author of Hebrews, who records in chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, and I remembered Andy Draycott. Is any in this particular service? 
Andy, when you preach this passage, when I look at it, all I ever hear is your booming voice. I almost want to bring a mic down there and let you say it, but you have come to Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and the festal gathering, and I could just go on. That is our reality. That is our identity. It's who we are in Christ. And so Peter wants to make this point. The New Testament wants to make this point. We need to own our identity. Some of you have lived internationally. I've talked to Larry Acuff on a few occasions, Jeff Raleigh, others. I know some have been students overseas. Many of you have lived in another country for a period of time. Wherever you were, you abided by their laws, you respected their customs, you were, um, but you were not required to pay their taxes to their government, to participate in matters um, related to the country, to adopt their religions, etc. You simply lived there for a time. And you knew what it was like to be out of your country, longing for the day when you would be back to your country. And that's the picture that Peter wants us to get. We get this reversed in our mind and we live as if this is our country, as if our citizenship is, is here and it's not. And so we've got to really begin thinking about this. I don't want us to continue to move our way through Peter and not begin to really get this in our daily life. What does it mean to us that we are we have an identity that puts us in another country. Every moment of our life needs to be lived with that reality that this is not our home. On Wednesday night, I'm gonna get on a plane. I'm gonna fly all night and go to Birmingham to just deal with a situation with a friend of mine who needs some help. And I'm not gonna pack a lot of things. I'm gonna only take what I need for my journey because I'm going to go to Alabama, as great as a state as that is, roll tide. I've got to come back because unfortunately my home is here instead of there. But is, I'm just going to take what I need. Why? I'm a fish. That's right, Robert. I'm going to get some fishing in there too. I'm only going to take what I need because that's not my home. Now, how does that translate into my everyday life is what I wrestle with. As I live in this world, it's only with what I need. I'm storing treasure somewhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm spending my time for somewhere else. I'm, I'm uh, investing my occupation, whatever it might be, my thoughts. It's somewhere else. We have a waiting Savior. But Peter wants to say more about this. He wants us to, to realize that because we have a, a waiting Savior, there is a certain reality of, I'm trying to get to the next slide He's trying to get us to realize that because we have a certain identity and we live in this reality, we must live in a manner that is consistent with that. Now, what he says in these two verses here is nothing new. He's already said it in the, in the verses previous in this particular letter. But he, he wants to really drive home some of the implications. If we live in another kingdom, then how are we supposed to live as we conduct ourselves in this particular kingdom? We have a waiting savior and he uses two concepts. We abstain in verse 11. 
But then in verse 12, he's going to also, so abstain is, is more in the negative. You stay away from these kind of things. You do not be this kind of person. And then in verse 12, he's going to say, keep your conduct honorable. In other words, be this kind of person. It's stated more in the positive. This echoes what we've already run into in chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15, where he writes, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't live in that kind of way. Verse 15, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy. Live in this kind of way. We have the same thing in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Abstain. Don't live like this. Keep your behavior honorable. Do live like this. We are to keep our eyes on our waiting Savior, and we are to live a life that is one that's congruent with what it means that he is the one in whom we have our identity. We're not to drift with the world. The passions of the flesh, Peter says, are going to battle with us. They wage war against us, but we've got to be vigilant and continue to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. He says in verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We all just need to pause and own the fact that we know passions of the flesh. We know what it is to be in a battle against passions of the flesh. I think oftentimes it's easy for us to come to church and sit here and feel like we're the only ones that may battle passions of the flesh. But we need to recognize that what Peter's talking about here, these passions, these are things that are going to lure us away from our relationship with the Lord. These are evil. These are things that have no place in one who has a citizenship in another country. If you're in a battle with these passions this morning, you're not alone in this room. As Christians, as we are in Christ, we can live as new creatures controlled by the Holy Spirit but we can also live our old life being controlled by evil passions. And it could be that to varying degrees in this room, we are being controlled by these evil passions. First Peter's made it clear that we have capacities for both. Again, just going through the book, chapter one, verse two, to those who are elect for obedience. That is our call for obedience. Chapter 1, verse 14, we've already read, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Be holy in all your context. See the the battle that's there? Chapter 1, verse 18, you were ransomed from that, the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. In other words, you're no longer. Chapter 1, verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth from a pure heart, something beautiful about what it means for us to be in Christ. But then follows that, chapter two, verse one, put away all mouths. Why would Peter say, put it away? Because it can actually have a grip on your heart, these kinds of realities. Again, Paul echoes this in his own letters, chapter, in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, but put on, actively put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. We could also go to Galatians 5, 16, as well as other verses. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And Peter is trying to pull together some of these concepts here. And he wants us to see 
that there is in fact these passions of the flesh that loom in the world and that we can be drawn away by these. Our hearts can move away from that which we were recreated, we were born again to enjoy. Our minds can drift from the fact that our citizenship is in heaven and we can become so enamored with this world in which we live and we end up doubting the goodness of God. That's been a strategy of Satan from the very beginning. God said to Adam and Eve, here's the garden, all things for you to enjoy. I made this for you. Just don't eat of that tree and this adversary comes in. Perhaps God's holding out on you. There's more over here, you know. You see this tree over here? Have you ever tasted of its fruit? Trying to get us to doubt the goodness of God that he's holding out on us and we end up pursuing futile things and those things result in death. That's these passions that Peter's talking about here. But it's, he, he says, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. This is a battle we're in. Peter isn't saying, hey, I'm talking to the weak of you out there. I'm talking to those of you who haven't quite got the Christian life down yet. He's saying, I'm talking to all of you. There are passions out there and they wage war against your soul. Those are strong words that Peter is using here. These passions, he says, are opposed to us in what it means for us to be in Christ. And the movement away from the Lord towards these passions is an awful thing. He's urging them. We know that Satan came, as we see in John 10.10, to steal and kill and destroy. And these passions are of Satan. And they seek to also steal and kill and destroy. And Peter wants us to know our souls have been saved. We've got this revelation of Jesus Christ that awaits us. We were chosen for obedience. But he wants you to know that there's a war that is being waged against your soul. And there's not a person in this room who doesn't understand that unless you've given up on the battle. And I don't know of a worse place to be this morning than having given up on the battle. We've got a battle that's waged against us and Peter is urging the people to continue to pursue the Lord. And what we need to understand is Peter's urging as an older man now. Peter's seasoned He's got wisdom that has been built into his life. Remember the Peter of the Gospels? And we could go back to the, Peters of the Peter of the Gospels, and I did, and I just began thinking through his life and thinking through 1 Peter along with it. Think about Peter's life. And I just put some categories here that I think helped us trace through Peter's story. The call to be on the alert in Luke 21, 36. The Lord is saying to his disciples as he begins moving toward the end of his life and they're all gonna fall away. They're gonna scatter. Peter's gonna deny he knows him three times. What does the Lord say to him? Be on the alert. Be on the alert. Then we have this enemy seeking to destroy those who follow Jesus. Peter, after Jesus talks about 
you know, falling away, Peter stands up and says, Lord, I'll be with you to the very end. You got me. I'm on. I signed up all. I'm all in. I'm all in. And Jesus turned to him and says, I want to tell you about an enemy. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You think that's the only time in the history of the world Satan has ever demanded to sift someone like wheat? Perhaps in our body this week, Satan has been demanding permission to sift. And you're in that battle. Notice what the Lord says. The warning of Peter's potential sin. Oh, Peter, be careful. Be careful, Peter. You're going to deny that you know me three times. We all have that potential in our lives. But Jesus reminds them of resources that are there to help. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's still going on. Be on the alert, guys. Come on. They go to the garden, and the Lord says, pray, pray. Exercise your dependency on the Lord. Pray that you don't enter temptation. In the book of Mark, it's so interesting. He goes right at Peter and says that. Peter, pray. And then we see the damage of wrong choices at the end and the the shame and the, the pain that Peter must have felt when Jesus caught his eyes after he denied him the third time. And I started thinking through the book of 1 Peter. And now Peter in his old age, what does he have to say about this? He still is calling to be on the alert. He's now echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, you be on the alert. Now what's Peter saying to this body of believers that he's writing to? He's saying, you be on the alert. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. I mean, we've seen these passages. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. We've got chapter 4 in verse 7. These verses are going to wait us. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. We also have chapter 5, verse 8. Beginning part of the verse, be sober-minded, be watchful. And why? It's because just like with Peter, there's an enemy seeking to destroy those who follow Jesus. And chapter 5, verse 8 goes on and says, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let that image sink into your mind because throughout this week, this is not just fairy tale stuff. Satan has been walking around and he's seeking someone to devour and perhaps you're in the jaws of his deathful grip right now. Peter in his old age says, you be watchful, you be careful because Satan is walking around. But notice our potential to sin. Again, we could go through all these verses. We've gone through them already. Put these to death, why? Because you can actually live in them if you're not careful urge you abstain from these passions why because you could live in them if you're not careful the resources the help that we've been seeing in Peter and we could actually go throughout the whole Bible chapter 1 verse 13 says you set your hope fully at the revelation of Jesus Christ that's where you put your hope nowhere else put it there we also have the word we've tasted the kindness of the Lord so go back and, and drink that long for it in other places on prayer. And Peter's got a main concern here. If we aren't careful, 
we could end up living, and this is where he goes in verse 12, we could end up living our lives in such a way that a world who is watching would not see any evidence of the gospel. A world that is watching may even be turned off by what it means to be a Christian because they see your life. You see, we're all in a war. We all must be alert. We all must realize our potential to sin. We all must realize and utilize the resources that are ours so that we can continue to live in a manner that's consistent with our identity. After Kenny's sermon on be holy, I told him later that week, I said, I felt the battle intensify in my life because you know, I don't think Satan likes us sitting around and talking about how we should live our lives to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And so what does he do? He goes after and he seeks who he might devour. Now in our passage, no sins are named. And so for our purposes this morning, it's just wide open. But, but here's the problem, I think. I, I think it was back in college. I, I think I was reading Jerry Bridges' book, Pursuit of Holiness. And he makes a very clear point that if we're not careful, this is what we do. Our call is to be holy. Well, the world is not interested in that, so the world is drifting away from that. And our eyes have to be fixed here because this is our identity. We are to be holy like he is. This is where we get our instructions for live life. But if we're not careful, what happens is we begin to watch the world. And as the world drifts, maybe we don't drift as far as the world goes. The world is evil. We're not like the world. But here's the point. We're not necessarily like Jesus either. And so no sins are named here. We have to figure out how are we living our lives? Am I just living in such a way that's a little bit better than the perversions of our world and therefore my life is different? Evidence of Christ. Or are we slowly being pulled into that course and we don't even know it? Peter doesn't list anything here. He just says, I urge you. I urge you to be honest about this. And I urge you this morning to be honest about it. Let the Lord do the work. Let the Lord lead you. What is it the Lord is trying to bring to your mind? What might you be cultivating in your life, fertilizing, watering in your life? That's these passions of the flesh that seek to steal and kill and destroy. Peter has one more thing to say to us today and you can see the third point there we must do this in order to encourage those who are not Christians to follow Jesus and so now the command is reiterated positively it's not just abstain don't do this Peter says I want to encourage you to live a life that's honorable we've got a waiting savior so live with him in mind honorable to his great name but you've got a world a world that's watching and so we have to be careful. And the life we live is not natural. It is supernatural. We must understand that. We don't live it in the power of the flesh. It's got to be lived in the power of the spirit or we'll be failing all the time. But Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works. 
we go to Titus chapter two, verse seven, first part, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, keeping your behavior honorable. Titus chapter three, verse eight, this, is a, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so Peter, just joining this chorus says, keep your behavior excellent, your conduct excellent. You've got a world watching. And ultimately, this is a, a picture of Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus' own words said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what? Give glory Give glory to the one who has saved you ultimately. And Peter goes on with this same point. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they're up against a lot of unjust stuff, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Ultimately, we, we could debate what this passage means, but ultimately, I think the bottom line what Peter is saying is they watch your life and they fall in line and become a follower of Jesus as well. So on that day, a visitation when God comes back and he rights all the wrongs and sets up his kingdom, on that day, they are now a part of that chorus. Oftentimes, when people speak of the church or talk about Christians, they'll say the church is full of hypocrites. And whether they're right or wrong in what they say, we need to pay close attention. Little verses like John 13, 34, and 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. How is our love? How are our marriages doing? How about our parenting? Do our neighbors know we're loving people? How about in the workplace? You see, people may malign us, but one thing that they cannot deny is behavior, conduct that is honorable. They can speak bad against it, but it's honorable. And so on that day, Peter says, let's remember we got a waiting savior and we've got a world, a world who is watching. So let's go back to that wedding scene for just a moment. Remember, the, the one thing that's different about the wedding scene as we think about what's going on, Peter, is the audience is hostile. The audience could give a rip whether you make it down the aisle or not to your waiting savior. But let me just, just add a little twist to that wedding scene that I think is absolutely repulsive. I, it's so repulsive, I don't even want to say it. But imagine the bride coming down the aisle to her waiting savior, waiting groom, and along the way, the passions of the flesh that wage war against that journey right here begin to win the day. And the bride on the way down to meet her waiting savior decides to start flirting with some people in the audience. Perhaps have an affair or two. And since they're hostile towards the whole idea, they indulge in the whole thing. Isn't that repulsive to even think about? And so Peter's saying, 
Yes, repulsive. Because when your identity is in Christ and you are called to live a certain way and your Savior is waiting for you and people are watching you, we ought to be living in a certain way in our lives and we are in a war for this. And I imagine for some of you, the battle is more intense than for others. And maybe the Lord's been stirring in your heart this morning and you feel the weight of sin. Maybe you just feel the battle against sin. You know what you're up against. We've got to remember, we've got to walk through this in the power of the gospel. Peter, the same Peter who says abstain, says I want to remind you of who you are in Christ and the riches of the gospel. We must fight this battle in the power of the gospel. Then the call for us to abstain needs to be appropriated. If you're not abstaining, you need to abstain. But we've got to remember and we must never minimize the grace that continues to be ours. If you feel the weight of that sin, go to Jesus this morning. Bask in the grace that is yours. If you are abstaining today, keep your eyes on Jesus and that grace. Bask in that grace because it will continue to transform you. As we saw earlier in chapter two, you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Continue to feed on that desire that milk of the word. Taste it again and again and again. Peter says, I urge you to abstain. I urge you, keep your behavior excellent. And people of grace, I urge you today as well. You have a waiting savior. Let's do it. Let's be faithful to the end. You have a world that's watching. Let's show them what it means to be in Christ and what it means to be a faithful follower of him. Let's give them a picture of the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And as you bow your heads, we're gonna give you a moment to really reflect on your heart. What, what are we to do? There's a battle, what do we do? Well, we need to long for the word. We need to meditate on it. We need to hear the, the words of Jesus, pray that you enter not into temptation. We need to realize we're a part of a body. There's no such thing as Lone Rangers. You may need to bring other people into your battle. We're in this together. We need to enjoy the grace that is ours freely and without end. This is not a beat me up time. This is an enjoy grace time. It's to find Jesus time. If you are succumbing, to passions of the flesh, you need to repent. If you're not, you need to be vigilant because it seeks to destroy you. And maybe you want to take the time to just pray for those who are watching your life. Pray that they will join the chorus 